Guardian Unlimited. I'm Michael White and with me are Ian Duncan Smith and The Guardian's political correspondent Tanya Brannigan. Uh, Ian Duncan Smith, you're still MP for Chingford and Woodford on the eastern fringes of London. In fact, you increased your majority last time. But David Cameron's also put you in charge of the Social Justice Policy Group. And in a way, it's your own fault because after standing down as leader, you set up your own centre-right think tank. The uh, Centre for Social Justice have been busy in that field. Tell us what you've been up to. Uh, well, the uh, Centre for Social Justice has uh, continued to do all its work, working with small inner-city groups uh, all around Britain, from Glasgow down to, uh, to London, Handsworth, uh, Birmingham, you name it. We've got uh, groups there that we work with, trying to help raise the money, to learn from them what the difficulties are on the street, uh, what causes all the breakdown that we see uh, amongst the bottom 10, particularly in 20% of, of our society. And then on the back of that, David Cameron asked me when he became leader. He's, he wanted to embrace this, because I think Michael Howard didn't quite see uh, the importance of it as much as David has, and he's asked me to run this policy group. So we've been busy putting together the policy group around what I call the five, uh, the five ways to break down poverty, which are family breakdown, addictions, uh, failed education, uh, with welfare dependency, uh, and... Uh, we always forget the fifth, yeah, don't there we? There we go. Oh, right, it's, the, it's, it's, it's indebtedness, that's right, debt. That voice in the background was Betsy Duncan Smith, uh, the leader's wife, and prompt. Um, the, the, I think some people listening may be puzzled, and I'm sure you've been asked this before. Uh, you came in on the right, you were Norman Tebbit's successor in Chingford, uh, you were social security spokesman under William Hague, and suddenly, when you cease to be leader, you're bound up in social concerns, many of which sound, dare I say it, quite Guardian-esque. Uh, explain <laughs> your context for this. Well, actually, it wasn't uh, just as I ceased being leader, because you may recall that I was trying to focus the party during the time that I was leader. We had the strategy of helping the vulnerable, which started pretty much just not long after I came as leader. Went to Easter House, uh, talking to people there about what That's we in Glasgow. Do. In Glasgow, yeah. uh, and uh, so I, for a long time, though, before that, been concerned about what I considered to be a breakdown in the bottom 20%, what I call the dislocation, really, uh, of um, the last part of us and, and groups in society who are becoming almost gen generationally trapped in poverty that uh, show no ability to cycle out of it in a way that we used to expect 20 and 30 years ago. And in terms of remedies, you're essentially a <coughs> voluntarist rather than a statist, well, or is that an oversimplification? Well, I think it's a bit of an oversimplification. The, uh, a lot of people sort of immediately try and say, oh, well, you want the voluntary sector to do what the government does because it's cheaper. Actually, I don't. I don't want that to be the reason. What I want... Uh, is that we should, as a government, stop trying to pretend that we know all the answers to this stuff and uh, know that we know somebody that does. And what I find with the small voluntary groups, charities, church groups, whatever, <coughs> in many of these areas is that they're working now to repair broken lives. And they're telling us about what's really going wrong on the street. And it's through them that I've decided when we look at poverty, we will do something different from Gordon Brown. We're not just going to look at how much income somebody has and measure that as an absolute line of poverty. I think it's deeper than that. I think the reason why you have generational poverty and generational breakdown is hugely to do the structure in which people live their lives. That's why we're looking at family breakdown. What effect is, is this deep-seated family breakdown, the way kids often are growing up now uh, without any sense uh, of any connection, even with fathers, particularly boys, to what degree is alcohol and drug abuse and addiction, which are rising dramatically, alcohol abuse is you know, at almost 19th century proportions now. Um, and you go through this debt. How deep does debt trap somebody, unable them to cycle out of poverty? And welfare dependency, you know, you look at all of that area and figure out 
do these all come together to create a picture about somebody who's going to be in poverty, even if they had more money, they're still going to find that they'll end up at the end of the day living a poverty lifestyle. So that's what we want to find out about. Danny Brannigan, you listen to uh, David Cameron's opening speech. He's going to make two speeches here this week, one on Sunday, one on Wednesday, a fairly short conference. Uh, does it sound within striking distance of what um, Ian has been saying? Uh, well, I think we're not a million miles away, and one of the sort of very striking things about the conference as a whole when you talk to people is this sense that really it's no longer just about money. That's not what people need to live a good lifestyle. It's, it's actually about other factors. What is quality of life? It's about the community. It's about the, uh, the way people relate to each other. All of those things are becoming very powerful. As Ian says, we, we all know you can give people more money. That doesn't necessarily help. It's not the only thing they need. And actually, there's, that's something in which there's sort of consensus across the parties now. Actually, I was invited to the Labour Party to do a fringe on What this. are we coming to, eh? Well, it was interesting because there was real engagement. We had over 100 people in the room, and I found that many of the Conservative Labour members we're really engaging on this because they were, they, you know, they've had 10 years now where we followed this line of 60% of median income defines you in poverty. Below that, you're in poverty. Above, you're not. And they're all saying, but somehow there's still a real problem for a whole bunch of 40% who just don't respond to any of this. And they were asking me about the structure. So structure is important. And my view, the big radical thing for the Conservative Party, and we're still not through that, if I'm going to be, admit this, is to get them to cleave to the idea that delivering social justice to a group of people is a conservative concept. And there's still resistance to that, but it's breaking down. What's interesting is, as you explain it, people begin to realise and put it in historical context, this is a conservative drive. But, you know, it takes a little while. It does. Um, incidentally, I'm right in saying, am I not, that your Centre for Social Justice is rooted in the church associated w with William Wilberforce, well, Tory MP, friend of Pitt and uh, chief abolitionist? Actually, Slavery? Uh, we, we had offices there. We don't have offices there anymore because we've slightly outgrown it, but we just rented offices from... Uh, that particular group, okay. but it's a brilliant building because it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's all building. about Wilberforce, Shaftesbury, and Lincoln. President Lincoln, as well, was that you know his family gave mm. money to that building because they said after he was assassinated, this is the building from which he drew all his social inspiration. Which is a very moving idea, really. And uh, three people who were conservatives in the 19th century—I can't tell everybody—these were social reformers. Uh, Indeed, and you've given me it. even better my link to the <laughs> next point because uh, my next bullet point was David Cameron's speech yesterday. Talks a great deal about optimism yeah. and listening to uh, his commitment to optimism we all effortlessly think of Ronald Reagan who was yes, also a yes. Republican president and a 24-7 yeah. uh, uh, optimist on the other hand some people in the hall not all of them journalists said well that's all fine and dandy but uh, where's the beef where's the policy uh, now Mr Cameron says plenty of time for that is he right? Mm. Uh, yes I think he is actually I mean having been in this position myself uh, I think there is an over demand uh, for detailed policy the truth is most of the public doesn't remember or know the, 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 the real difference between detailed policy and philosophical direction. We get confused about this quite a lot. What is needed right now, if there's any adjustment to the present course that we're on, is we need to put this in a proper philosophical sense of direction for us as a party. What's missing for many of the members at the moment is a sense of where we are, like a ship at sea, not quite sure whether we're facing north or west but happy to stay on board, uh, rather than, you know, to, to actually see the land. We need, at this point, to know that the direction we're going in is, is characteristically conservative, which I believe it is, by the way. I think he's right. Um, conservative philosophy should always be an upbeat philosophy. You know, when Reagan said it's morning in America again, what he was trying to say was, 
A Conservative has to be optimistic because we believe in the importance and strength of individuals to be able to build their society. And the corresponding difference is that socialists see actually the problems for individuals and that's why they need the government so much. I know it's simplistic, but it's trying to build that Tanya. picture. I think, in a way, one of the issues for Cameron, which he rather cunningly dealt with in his speech yesterday, he, he dealt with the issue for the week by saying, well, I'm going to speak to you on Wednesday and I'll be a little bit more sort of, uh, I'll explain things a little bit more then. Um, but overall, he's, he's, he's done a fantastic job of selling the party. Um, he's gone out there and floated ideas. And it's not unnatural that people are therefore sort of saying, well, what actually lies behind this? But of course, as Ian says, I mean, it, it, Ian's predecessor, uh, Lord Tebbit, sort of not the most Cameron-friendly kind of person. If you, if you look at what he's sort of written in his memoirs, he sort of says, keep the policy off the table. Whatever you do, don't let it out too early. It, I talked to Norman about that as well the other day. And, except uh, that Norman, and I think he thinks he's being helpful, I, I'm pretty sure that's what Mr Cameron thinks. He's normally trying to be helpful in pushing the tax agenda all the time, which was very striking in this uh, Guardian Fringe meeting uh, uh, in which you and I participated yes, I yesterday, too, yeah. that uh, Damien uh, Green, who was on the panel with you, said, amazing, he's the immigration spokesman, no questions about immigration. So that seems to have moved a little yeah. off the back burner, surprisingly, you may feel. But the tax issue was there, and it struck me when I heard you talking about the high marginal tax rates levied on the poor, the people in the hall were less concerned about them than other forms of high marginal taxation were brought down upon them. I didn't feel you got much of sort of sense of support. Well, you, you don't get an immediate purchase on this, which is why I don't really want to get into details about where you deliver um, um, taxation or lower taxation, as it were. What I'm trying to explain to people is that there is nothing wrong in a Conservative Party believing that tax reduction is a mechanism to free people up. What I was trying to explain yesterday is don't get caught up with the idea the Conservative Party is about tax reduction. The Conservative Party is about giving people greater power and say over their own lives. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. tax is a mechanism in financial terms to deliver greater financial freedom and control. But it's also a redistributive mechanism which takes yeah. from people who've got so much they don't yeah. need it. I think there's a... It's always been like that. As long as Professor Layard tax. says over £20,000 you don't get happier uh, a year <laughs> that is, folks. Um, the, uh, the need to take from them to redistribute to the poor. Now Gordon Brown doesn't use the R for redistribution word. He's been scared of it for years, although he does it. He's doing you're it avoiding it too. At the moment, yeah. but very badly. Skillfully. Well, well, I think very badly because I think what's happened is he's taking the money that he is redistributing and dumping it on the top level of what he would define as the poor. The result is he's shuffling a few of those, well, quite a lot of those, out on the margin. <coughs> but the gap now is breaking. Even, as I said, Polly Toynbee is noticing that, that the bottom 40% uh, of, the, of the poor uh, calculation are actually in real difficulty now. Polly is quoted extensively <coughs> in the Conservatives' NHS cuts pack, I noticed. <laughs> Voters have registered David Cameron under new management. They're still not sure about the Conservative Party and Labour's in trouble and the party's not still in polling terms doing as well as it ought to. Does that make sense to you in view of this reluctance to define themselves better at this stage, what they stand for? I don't think it's surprising at all and actually I don't think it's just about uh, a, a reluctance to define themselves. I think it's fairly inevitable um, for a party at this stage with a new leader. Mm. It's going to take time. The, the point about David Cameron is he sort of makes people take the first step. I'm really sort of struck by the way that people say, you know, I would consider voting for Cameron or I can imagine voting for Cameron. Not yet the Tories, but, but it's that first stage and the, the question is now what they do to build on that and we're really at the stage where they need to start thinking about that quite hard but um, you know, they're not, I don't think they're lagging behind on that, it's just they've got to start that's got to start kicking in now really. Does that sound about right Ian Duncan Smith? 
Yes, actually, if you think in the historical terms, that um, the idea of a centre ground is always a rather mysterious thing. Uh, uh, nobody ever quite defines it because the centre ground of British politics in you know 1978 would now be perceived to be way off to the left by normal commentators, and 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 therefore it's really about getting the public to believe that actually where they stand is where you stand. So it's somehow getting them to sense that the party itself. Uh, most matches their aspirations. Blair has always scored very well on that test. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, you've got to hand it to Blair. I mean, there's one thing that Blair is supreme in the way that, in a sense, Thatcher was supreme in, in her early days, and Reagan, you know, the great, mm. you know, political success stories, is actually persuading a public that actually where they're standing is where the public really thinks they're standing at the moment, not defining you right or left. And Blair does that without but question. One, <laughs> one of the very interesting <coughs> things, of course, is that where voters <coughs> may have put themselves almost exactly where Blair is, or vice versa, rather, but when voters evaluate where Labour is, it's never been quite that close. So, I mean, parties and leaders... What is interesting the Tories up, though, at the here, prospect of Gordon Brown. But except what is interesting about this poll is it puts, uh, you know, for Conservatives, when they get too excited about Gordon Brown coming in, Gordon Brown is less uh, to the left uh, than the Conservatives are perceived in to, to the right. So even for all David Cameron's uh, success so, so far, he's still perceived as much further to the right than Gordon Brown is to the left of Tony Blair, which is clearly the benchmark at the moment. So the big challenge is how do you get the message, and this is what I wrote in a pamphlet a while ago, um, you've got to try and get across to them that somehow uh, who you are uh, is, uh, is a party that are, are, are about the sort of aspirations and beliefs that they hold themselves in a way that they can then believe it. And our biggest problem, I said this yesterday, is whenever we say something, it's just degraded because they just don't believe that we're actually going to do it. Yeah, that takes time. Um, something else you said yesterday on a more frivolous note, uh, yeah. the new Tory logo, the oak tree, which is all <laughs> over this conference, you compared it to broccoli. Um, I did not say that. Somebody told me that they thought it well, was broccoli. Well, I thought, I thought you said it was broccoli, but <laughs> no. never mind. Um, a broccoli, Guardian like uh, video vox pop uh, suggests that some people are very attached to the old torch, which, if memory serves, was introduced by Mrs. Thatcher in 1982. Yes, that's right. Well, I don't think we should get attached to anything, frankly. I mean, I didn't change the logo and I was leader because I just really couldn't be bothered. I thought, you know, these things aren't as important. Uh, Michael Howard changed it and made it look a bit as though it was the, you know, meeting of the Communist Factory Workers Drive for the fifth year oh, of production. Um, and so I think it was necessary to change it. I thought that logo was peculiarly unhelpful. Tanya, you're a young person. Uh, do logos and branding of this kind matter? Uh, of course, branding matters, but um, I think one of the kind of the real lessons when you sort of look at Labour's experience is that the branding matters, but it's what what's underneath that really counts. And yeah. as Ian says, unless people believe there's substance there, they're not going to be convinced. It, it, it makes it more sort of attractive. It invites people to have a look, but it doesn't convince them. It, well, the idea about um, about a logo is different. Branding is about them looking at you and saying there's something different about these people, you know, yes, they seem relevant to what I'm about, mm. and then the logo shows that that is a change. It doesn't work the other way around, and they've still got to understand with us that actually the Conservative Party has broadened out and that it really does care uh, for, you know, the difficulties and problems that people find themselves in, as well as still being a party that is going to be economically competent. That was our big badge. It comes out in that poll today. Mm. We lost that. We still haven't got it back. And without that, at the moment, that's what's causing a major block to us. So we need to broaden out, but still show, if we are running the economy, 
Actually, we could run it well. Mm. That's the one thing that used to drive us back into politics time and time again when Labour made a mess of things. So, you know, for us, that's elusive because in opposition, it's very difficult to prove yep. to anybody you can run an economy Government's until the others, lose it. Until the others completely lose screw it up. And we need Gordon Brown to demonstrate that's what he's doing. Now, another aspect of image, Tanya, which has cropped up in the papers this morning, is a report in the Times to say it's not simply Labour donors who have been interviewed uh, by the police about the cash for peerages, cash for honours business. Uh, it's also Conservative donors in July. We haven't heard about it until now. Does that matter? Does it sort of level the playing field? Or is this still really about Tony Blair? Um, I, th I think it's a much bigger issue for Labour because they are in government and people feel that they're the ones who have the favours to dish out. Now, that, that may be unfair, but I think that, that's how the sort of perceptions play. The other thing, of course, is in a sense Labour says, well, this is very unfair because, you know, we introduced all, all the things that uh, mean we're getting whacked now, sort of freedom of information, we've made, we've made sort of the honours system much more accountable. Um, and that's true, but it also means that when they stray from the path of righteousness, it does look a tad hypocritical as well. That's Anne Wrighty and Duncan Smith. We hear so all sorts of things about the Midlands Industrial Council and strange bodies which are sort of independent from uh, the party but not yours. So it's every leader's nightmare. <coughs> it's every leader's nightmare that they have to go and see uh, all sorts of people involved in in finance and business because they know behind all of it still lies the fact they have to finance the party. It's always a, a how do you keep the distance, how do you not get into discussions with them about whether or not they're lending money. Mm. You know, I, I'm sure it's the same. Did you there. have any rules? Did you have any... Well, the simple rule is that you'll meet anybody, talk to them in the course of what you're doing, but that uh, the leader himself must have no connection to them whatsoever, must be not involved in any discussions, anything else. There can be no promises made to anybody and no promises can ever be transferred to the leader to say this was promise was made if such a promise was made it would have been wrong that's always the difficulty and the problem that you face and you, you know but yet you know the media you're all quite legitimate to attack the political parties over this um, and it's a case of glass houses for the political parties I always think on this one but the question is what else I mean the problem we've got is if we don't have a system where we raise money from both members and uh, from uh, business. The problem you're going to have is you've got to move to taxpayers, and taxpayers show no inclination to fund political parties beyond the level they do, and most newspapers don't agree with, uh, with taxpayers' funding. Well, so we're, 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 sort of we're hypocrites really. too about these things. The taxpayers won't fund it, individuals no. won't fund it in voluntary donations. We don't like the unions do it, you yeah. end up with rich people. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's a big problem. The problem is that keeping it clean, and your point, uh, Tanner, about the Labour Party is absolutely the case. I remember when it all started, they said, we're going to open this up and open that up and we'll show this. I, I always took the view that it would take two or three years before actually they will have solved nothing other than to make it much easier to find out what they were doing. But beyond that, everyone was going to jump on them anyway because running a political party requires fundraising. And there is no way of making fundraising appear to anybody to be quite so squeaky clean. Can you? Well, I was just going to say that the um, other thing, of, of course, is that I think more generally it levels the playing field because people feel that there's, that politicians are all the same. That um, is a and problem. that's, that's the right. real danger. That's what's that, again, it just turns voters off completely, so that's it's right. not about. Yeah, which is bad for everyone. Well, Labour came in saying we're different. And the question was are they? And the public now doesn't see them as different. Doesn't see us as better, just sees mm. them as the same. So everybody us. loses from that. We'd better stop here. We could talk about this all day. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you both for coming in, Ian Duncan-Smith and uh, Tanya Brannigan. The noise you may have heard in the background periodically has not been the sound of gunfire raking the Conservative conference in Bournemouth, but the sound of a swinging door closing. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again tomorrow.
Guardian Unlimited.